0: Welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this very special episode of Forgotten Feminists. Um, it's a very special episode because this is the first time that I have a guest who is not an ex-Muslim. Uh, am grew up in Iraq, um, but she grew up to a, um, a culture, a Christian background, which we're going to talk more about that in detail. Um, but Weam, thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Yasmin.
0: Um, so I just wanted to let everybody know that I'm recovering from COVID. That's why I sound kind of like I'm, you know, half asleep. But if I could remind everybody to please mute your microphones. Okay, I'm going to have to just mute mute people. Um, so I'm just recovering from COVID. So that's why I kind of sound like this. But um, But do not... This exterior has nothing to do with how my interior is. I'm incredibly excited to speak with Wiam today and to learn so much from her. Um, And I hope you will all learn so much from her today as well. So, Wiam, let's start with um, you telling us a little bit about your background growing up in Baghdad. Actually, before that, let's just set the stage. Your background are the Chaldeans. Am I pronouncing that correctly,
1: Chaldeans? Say it again. Yes, Chaldeans.
0: Chaldeans. Okay. Yes, like a mm-hmm. Okay. Great. So, can you tell us a little bit about the Chaldeans? I've I've heard of Assyrians. I know there's lots of different ethnic groups, um, especially in Iraq and Syria and that whole area. Um, can you tell us a bit about specific specifically your cultural background, the Chaldeans?
1: Sure. Um, so Chaldeans um, are the indigenous people of Iraq, and they trace their roots to ancient Mesopotamia, um, to Ur, which was land of the Chaldeans, uh, which was the uh, prophet Abraham's birthplace. Um, so they converted to Christianity in um, first um, century A.D. by uh, when St. Thomas the Apostle was traveling through Mesopotamia to go to India. Um, and so that's when they converted and before that really the religion was astrology. They were known as magicians and they were pagans and they have a very incredible history that predates religion. And that's my favorite part actually.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna ask you, is there are there any artifacts or is there has any of that been uh, any of that history been made like um, what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Yeah, like there's cuneiforms. They discovered a lot of cuneiforms, and, uh, mm-hmm. and um, like around the 1900s, uh, that when the British archaeologists were there, they found all these cuneiforms that gave a different story of what um, we thought we knew about that area, including many texts that are older than the Bible and that were later kind of changed and revised and edited into the stories of Genesis. Mm-hmm but there were many similarities. Um, And one thing that was left out, a lot of the material or the cuneiforms that were left out and the stories that were left out were the ones that dealt with women.
0: So do you have any inkling of what it was like for the Chaldeans to convert to Christianity? Was that done? um, Like, were they willingly doing that or was that sort of, uh, did they find themselves in a position where they it just made most sense, or that they were in a, uh, you know, it was aggressive. Do you have any idea of that history?
1: Um, yeah. So, that particular history, I have not found, although I keep searching all the time. I'm, I'm always researching and trying to see the history behind that land. And um, it does not show that there was aggression. And it does seem like a more peaceful way that they um, embraced Christianity. And that was mostly because it was. St. Thomas the Apostle was not a, a violent man. Um, and so he was just spreading the word and they were just embracing it. There was no particular war that took place in the process. And during that time, the language was Aramaic, which Chaldeans, which is the language of Jesus, which Chaldeans still speak today, although it's, the language is declining as like happens with other indigenous languages. Um, and so the language of that, of the Near East, uh, the international language in that area was Aramaic. Mm-hmm.
0: So that's um, that's kind of what we sort of see with cultural Christianity in North America quite often today, too, is there is there is this outreach to different pagan groups to the point that now um, what were once Christian holidays are now kind of mixed up. <laughs> it's like Easter's got like a bunny and eggs and, you know, like, and then there's, there's, there's all of these, you know, mixtures of um, like the tree and the, the, and the Christmas tree, apparently that has pagan roots and obviously, you know, Halloween is a, it's not, it's not a Christian, but it is a holiday that we celebrate, which also has pagan roots. So we see mm-hmm. a lot of that kind of melding of cultures, um, melding of ideas, melding of beliefs um, in, in North American Christianity as well. So is that kind of how the Chaldeans embraced Christianity? Were you keeping bits of your own pagan background?
1: Well, um, Chaldeans have had an interesting history where not long after they embraced Christianity so um, when Islam started or the Arabs invaded that region in the in the seventh century um, what happened is that's kind of where the struggles happened and the yeah. wars and the converting so um, they were adamant the ones that continued uh, to be called Chaldeans or Assyrians are the ones that did not convert and mm. so in that region, we actually have a lot of connections, or used to more so in the past as Iraqis together, because there is an understanding that the Arabs that live in that region, many of them were of different indigenous groups before the Arabs came in and before they converted to Islam. So there was that kind of a, there was a connection, at least like when I lived there, there was, and many people that I interview as a journalist for over 10 years, and even today I interview a lot of people, they still feel that connection. And I think it's part of it because it's kind of in your blood that you know that there is just like the Native Americans, you realize, um, you know, you might not be of the same tribes, but you were there for a very long time. Uh, For instance, like the Marsh Arabs, uh, so the Mar- Marsh Arabs have been there for thousands of years in the same place. So they're ancient. Um, but of course, you know, when another uh, the, another group takes over the land, that you kind of assim- assimilate into that. And so what seems to have happened afterwards is that there was more of the fighting and the survival, uh, turning into survival more. And then I feel from my observation and my research is that there are... Um, uh, holding on to their faith was part of the need to survive so the focus was became so much on their faith and over time because uh in schools you don't learn anything that's past at that time when i was there 1400 years 14 1500 years so anything before islam so you're, you're not made aware of it mm-hmm. um so you really don't know who you are there's no chance but you do have the churches still they remain and so your faith kind of becomes the most important thing um and then you there's another survival mode of like trying to leave that land and coming here so for instance uh as you know before we
0: go there don't don't I don't want you to go that far yet in the timeline um, because I do want to talk a little bit about what you were just talking about now because I think you've just described the story of probably over 20 countries and who knows how many different ethnic groups. Um, This sort of, you know, when they get invaded, they're basically um, uh, colonized by Muslim Arabs and then the people end up losing their cultures end up losing their um, languages end up not even remembering who they were and in my case uh, my family is from Egypt we actually end up calling ourselves Arabs now you know we're in North Africa but we speak Arabic I mean just like in Iraq Chaldeans are the um, the original you know the native indigenous people of the land but now you find yourself A persecuted minority that's the same similar thing in Egypt where the Coptic Christians are the uh, indigenous people and they've now find themselves to be persecuted minorities in in Egypt and that happens you know over and over and over again in so many countries all over the world Um, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about this topic because um, you know obviously in Islam there's the idea of Dimitude. so as a as a christian or a jewish person living in an islamic state you're a dimi. so you have to accept that you are a second class citizen and you have to pay jizya which is like a head tax for um similar to the mafia you know it's a protection t- ta- tax protection against who well protection against us <laughs> so um it's a uh, it's it's a vicious people like to pretend and they say things like oh christians and jews were very happy under islamic caliphates um they were protected but the the truth is that um they were they're living as second-class citizens in their own countries if they're not eventually like you were and like Countless Jewish people were and countless other Christian people were if they aren't eventually forced to flee. Um, so, I want to talk to you about this idea of Dimitu, Jizya, how minority groups are treated under, um, you know, obviously caliphates like the Ottoman Empire, um, but even just in the Arab world in general or in the Muslim majority world in general. Um, because there seems to be this idea that if you're not under an Islamist regime, an Islamist caliphate, if you're under a secular dictator, that, you know, secular dictator like Saddam Hussein, um, that life for minority groups is good. So what would you say to that? Or tell me your thoughts on all that.
1: Well, I came across a memoir uh, that was published in 1844 in England by the author. is It's called Memoirs of, the, of a Babylonian Princess. And it was written by Maria, Maria Teresa Esmer, who lived, who, who is from the village of my ancestors, Til-Kiape, which is northern of Iraq, which was um, destroyed by ISIS. So now, you know, it, it was the largest village, the largest time for, Christian Iraqis, and now there's like maybe a handful of people that live there, and I'm not even we don't really really know who they are. They don't just go out there and announce themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was interesting that in this she lived in that area during the Ottoman um, when they had invaded that land, and she writes very detailed. She she has a over 700 two part memoir that's um, over 700 pages. And she writes in detail about their experiences. And I remember that when I was reading that, I thought, wow, that was initiated. That seed was initiated from long before. And then it was finished off in
0: 2014.
1: Mm -hmm. So there was that, um, that was the motive. There was some kind, there's a seed there that to just, you know, not to have any minorities or anybody outside of whatever um, religion that, that they believe should just dominate and that's it. And then, and it was just um, the land was destroyed in 2017. The churches were destroyed. Um, People had to flee from their homes uh, and uh, the cemeteries were destroyed. So nothing really was left Uh, that even when later on, they said, well, if we rebuild it and people come back and then the people said, well, how can we go back when the people who destroyed this are living there? Mm -hmm. Um, So, A lot of the terrorists, they just, they married and they just established their homes there. They took over a lot of the homes. So there's no trust. So really nobody can go back. So that land is just lost. So we had to come to the realization that there's no way that um, we could safely live there, you know. Um, So for that reason, right now, what was like over a million Christians Prior to the 2003 war, after the 2003 war, that's when things got worse for the Christians, um, and the numbers went down to 800 thousand, and now it's like a, it's less than 150 thousand, and most of them wow. are in the Kurdistan area.
0: That is so fast; like the numbers dwindled so quickly. Um, did 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 everybody flee?
1: They had to. Yeah. Uh, So the Mm -hmm. people that I interview, we we have this program called the Digital Storytelling Project. Not that I didn't know this from before, but, you know, when you hear about it, I think uh, there's this tendency, some stories people would prefer just to kind of not revisit. And so when we are doing some of the programs that we do, we revisit that. And I realize, like, this just happened in 2014. But Mm -hmm. oftentimes, unlike other minorities groups, like unlike in Germany where you learn about the Holocaust for a whole year in high school. You know, here, and I was raised in the United States. We learned about slavery. We learned about other uh, Native Americans, the genocides. Mm-hmm. We learned about other, what, what we did to others, uh, not mm-hmm. necessarily us, but just mm-hmm. the, the land or our, the, the people that came here, how, how it happened. Um, and it's very interesting for me when I see that people who get their stories told and it's taught, they still don't find that it's enough but well, we don't get it at all. Like we don't get yeah. anything. We, mm. nothing is gone, goes back into that history. And sometimes I'll see these programs where people are like, oh, you know, uh, if they're interviewing uh, Christians, they'll say, well, th- that's just in the past. Like put it behind you. It just mm. happened like less than 10 years ago. Um, so that denial, that resistance to addressing the conflict or things that we need to face is only continuing the same process over and over again. That's how we got to where we got because nobody wants to talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you're here talking about it today. So I'm, I'm doing what I can to, to fix that very wrong thing. I mean, I was shocked myself to find out how Egypt became, you know, now there's like zero Jewish people there. How did that happen after hundreds of thousands of Jewish people living there? And I was shocked to find out the history. I mean, it was in the 60s or something, so it was, you know, further back. But but still, the, the, this truth and reconciliation that is common in North America or in the UK or in other parts of Europe, that kind of thing doesn't happen in the Arab world. Like, even you are born and raised in your country and you don't know the history of your people, like like you said, not even a decade ago, forget you know, 50 years ago or a hundred years ago, all of that stuff is just swept under the carpet and people are expected to just forget and move on because they feel like, well, from my perspective, I feel like it's because they feel like, well, everything, all, all wrongs have been righted. So it's like you said, what started back in the Babylonian era and continued into, you know, the 2014 and four and onwards, um, they just feel like it's, this is, this is the way things should be moving. So there's no, there wouldn't be, an, um it wouldn't make sense to stop and have any kind of truth and reconciliation or any kind of um, self, you know, awareness or any kind of, um, you know, just any kind of just being conscious of all of the atrocities that your people have been involved in, because it's not viewed as atrocities, it's viewed as things moving in the right direction. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about your personal story growing up. I know you left Iraq when you were ten years old, so there's probably not a lot, but you you have some stories growing up um, in in Iraq. I want to know what it was what it was like for you. Um, what it was like for you at school, what it was like for you at home. You told me a story about your your gardener. Um, tell me about what it was like for you. Cause I've, I've heard, again, I've spoken to people who were Jewish growing up in Lebanon, you know, and I've, I, I, but I've never spoken to somebody who was a Christian growing up in Iraq. So can you give us an idea of what that would be like? So, um, so I actually left when
1: I was nine because-